Thank you, worship team, and thank you, Richard Black, one of our elders, for praying for us. If you're in the lobby still, I want to invite you in. So glad that you are here. Uh, my name is Ross. Just privileged to have you worship with us this morning. And you all look great. You all just look so prettied up. I hope you get your picture. Um, you're looking good. Haven't seen some of you look this good in quite a while. You're saying the same thing to me. Hey, uh, so glad that you're here at Centennial Church. We do uh, have a little connect card that's right in front of the chairs. Hopefully, uh, no pressure. We're not going to show up uh, at your door uh, unless you want us to. Uh, not going to show up at your door, but we'd love to know that you're here. We, we would certainly love to pray for you. There's a place in here for prayer requests, so please let us know how we, we can pray for you. You can uh, drop those in the baskets that are in the front and the back, or you can just leave it uh, on your seat, and we'll we'll find it somehow, okay? So uh, please fill that out. That is also available on our church app. We have a, a CC mobile app, so if you want to download that, you can get all the information about uh, what's going on around here and join us, uh, including... Including one of my favorite traditions next week, our pancake breakfast. Yeah, yeah, you can clap. Uh, let me see if I can get a better response for this one, okay? Our pancake and bacon breakfast. Yeah, there, there, there's a few fans in the crowd. Uh, we have a pancake breakfast uh, next week, and it's not just to stuff our bellies, although we do that, and then everyone just kind of dozes off during the message. It's great. Um, it's challenging Sunday for me. Uh, but we have a pancake breakfast, and it's not just for us to stuff our faces. It's actually to benefit some folks in Haiti. We're going to build a house in Haiti in September. We're actually taking applications if you want to join us on that trip. And, and as you can imagine, there are thousands and thousands of families in Haiti that uh, are living under tents, uh, visqueen, and tarps. And we have a tradition of going down there uh, almost once a year and building a home. And we're going to do that again in 2017, the beginning of September. So we want you to come back uh, for our pancake breakfast next week. And this is totally what the conventional wisdom, they always tell pastors, don't talk about money on Easter, okay? Because 50% of you will not come back. But I'm going to talk about money, okay? Uh, but I want you to come back next week, and I want you to bring some money because I want you to make a donation uh, to Haiti, okay? Not for our church, but for what's happening in Haiti and for that family. We need to raise about $6,000 to build uh, that house, okay? So uh, please come back, stuff your face with us. Uh, you can donate through credit card, cash, whatever, but please join us for this great tradition uh, next week, okay? Kids, you're looking at me like, seriously, i got to listen to this guy for a while. Uh, we have a special little packet for you. So parents uh, of little ones, if you want to uh, let your kids get up right now, Miss Rebecca, where are the packets? They're all along the sides here. So um, you do need to be 18 or younger to get the packets, okay, parents? You know there's adult coloring books these days. Um, I'm not here to judge you, but uh, that's weird. Uh, so get your packets, kids, and, uh, and that will, uh, will perhaps uh, occupy you or help your parents here in a few minutes as we open up God's Word, okay? Uh, I do want to, uh, I, we have a lot of special guests uh, here this morning. We have a lot of special guests. I see uh, folks uh, that I've invited, and I'm not going to embarrass uh, my friends, but I do want to embarrass some of your friends. Um, so, but let me do this. First of all, back here on this side, I about tripped. Uh, Wes Stalkup uh, just had how many? Five, four stents, four bypasses uh, last week. Can you believe he's in church? Um, good to see you, Wes. Becky says he's been a, he's been a mediocre patient. Uh, we'll keep, uh, keep praying for him. I also want to embarrass over here on this side, too, uh, the young couple in the very back row, Ben and Christina, are, go ahead and stand up, guys. These are two of our missions partners uh, at the University of Arkansas. Uh, they're doing a college young life ministry there, and they're back for the weekend, and so just want to embarrass them. Uh, thank you guys for your ministry there. Not only do they share the gospel uh, with all these students at Arkansas, they also, before they share the gospel with them, they have to teach them how to read. Uh, so it's a pretty, it's a challenging... It's a challenging uh, ministry. I just lost about 25% of the audience on that. Yeah. Uh, 
Also, on a serious note, though, back here, Gary and Jeannie, would you guys stand up? Um, it's going to be hard. We've been praying for uh, some little folks that were born last week or about 10 days ago in Lubbock, Kipper and Scout, and uh, they're not doing real well. Um, so we're going to pray for them in just a minute. Uh, they're in Lubbock, uh, related to Gary and Jeannie, and uh, if you can imagine uh, delivering twins, which some over here have recently, but having those twins come at 25 weeks, one at two pounds, another a little under two pounds, uh, Kipper and Scout, one of those great names. Uh, uh, so we want to pray. We want to pray for them here in just a minute as, as a church family. I want to encourage you to continue to to pray for them this week. Okay, Gary and Jeannie, glad glad you guys are here today, and Caitlin too. Glad you're here too, Caitlin. Uh, I think uh, that's some of the housekeeping business. Uh, guests, again, I want to welcome you. Thanks, thanks for for being here with us. Before we uh, open up God's Word this morning, could uh, could you just bow your heads and uh, pray with me for? For these little ones, and pray for our uh, as well for our hearts as we uh, open up God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, we just come to you this morning, and uh, we need you. Every hour we need you, and we we just pray this morning as we gather here, Father, that you would uh, open our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would work through me, that you would get me out of the way, that your Holy Spirit would use your word and use um, the hope of the gospel to encourage our hearts, to challenge us, to convict us, to encourage our hearts this morning. Even as, as many of us gather here this morning, we have burdens, we have hurts, we have doubts, we have questions, and Holy Spirit, you know where to meet each one of us. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work uh, as we continue to worship uh, by looking at your word. Father, we pray your healing hand on these two little ones, and we, we wonder why we don't understand, and yet we trust that you're in control, and God, we, we know that you are the God that created them, that you're the God that can heal them, and uh, that you can bring them uh, to health, and that one day we could even meet them here uh, on a Sunday morning and see how you've answered our prayer. So God, that's our prayer. Please be with Gary and Jeannie. Please be with Brandon and uh, his wife as they walk through these uh, difficult things. Uh, again, Father, we uh, just thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. As a uh, society, we are drowning in information, are we not? I mean, at any moment, uh, you can get out your phone. Some of you are already on it right now. Uh, you can get out your phone, and in an instant, you can get information. You can fact-check me. And I read this week, actually, that uh, what we hold in our hand, somebody's texting me right now, uh, what we hold in our hand is actually more computer power in our palm than NASA had in 1969 as we put men on the moon. Isn't that amazing? Right here. Instantly and constantly, we have access to information. We are drowning in information. And, and so you can uh, fact check me throughout this sermon. If uh, I've heard some of you uh, comment to me that you, you've done work on your car, you've done work on your truck, and to me, uh, a very unskilled uh, man, how in the world do you work on your own car? And your answer is YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. I mean, you, you, you can do it, right? Uh, some of you are, are working on a shiplap project or something like that. I mean, who needs Chip and Joanna? You just YouTube, right? It's all there. Do it yourself. You've got information uh, right there at your fingertips. Google is, is no longer just a noun. Google is a verb, right? Uh, instantaneous, constant information right at our fingertips. You can keep up with your favorite sports teams. You can keep up with the markets, you can keep up with politics, the ones that you like, as well as the ones that you don't like, instantaneously, constantly, tweets and split-screen news and info, 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 just constantly coming at us. 
But I think we all need to admit and we all need to understand that just because we live in this information age, right, not the industrial age, but the information age, just because we have lots of information at our fingertips doesn't necessarily mean that we have truth. That we can swim in data and we can be bombarded with information, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what we are looking at is the truth or that we have the facts or in the fact that we can ascertain the truth. Sometimes we're wondering, is this the story or is this someone's spin on the story, right? It's a valid question. And the amount of information that we have at our fingertips, it, it has an effect on us, does it not? And the fact that we can look things up immediately, the fact that there's so much information coming uh, to us has an effect upon us. And just a few of, of, of those effects that I would uh, posit to you this morning, one of them would be impatience, right? Hey, you know, why hasn't so-and-so got back to me yet? Uh, how come I haven't found out about this? And so because everything's right there instantaneously for us, we can, we can grow impatient, and not only does the, the plethora and the onslaught of all this information and all this data, not only does it tend to make us impatient, I would say it also tends to uh, feed our pride. Does it not? I mean, I was talking to some, some of our teachers before church, one of whom is, is an attorney, and it's like, I mean, the, the kind of the mindset today, <laughs> I don't know why I need to pay an attorney, you know, just look it up myself, you know? I mean, WebMD. Who needs a doctor? WebMD, you know, I can figure this out. Uh, why do I need to go to the doctor? And it tends to build within us a pride. Hey, all the information's out there. I can ascertain this. I can figure this out. I don't need so-and-so. I don't need so-and-so, you know? Politics. Hey, I can figure this out. Healthcare. Uh, I mean, I go to the doctor. I have insurance. I can figure out this healthcare issue that we have. I mean, it's, it's just pretty simple. We've got all the data. It's right there. So, uh, so the onslaught of data and information that we swim in daily can lead to impatience. It, it can lead to pride. But one other thing that I think it can also lead to is it can lead to doubt. It can lead to confusion with swimming in all this information. But how do we make sense of it? And how do we know which information and which data we can rely on and, and, and which data is true, right? So for many of us, we're confused. Scratch my head. I mean, you know, are the, is the essential oils, I mean, is it a load of bunk or does it work? You know, I mean, how do I, sorry, that one was way too political to mention in this audience. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, but how do, I, how do I sort through all the information, all the varying opinion, opinions? And, and you come to this place where it's like, what's truth and what's spin? Or some of the questions that we have in our doubt is, how do I, how do I find the truth in all this? How do I know what I can rely on and what is, in fact, fabrication or slant or truth. Just this month, the beginning of April, Time Magazine released their newest cover that said this, is truth dead? I mean, can you really know truth? Is there really something that you can lock down on, stand on, solid as a rock and say, this is true? It's also now being said popularly that we live in a post-truth culture. Now, I'm not exactly sure what people mean when they say post-truth, but that is thrown out there. And we've all heard our politics, our politicians, excuse me, talk about alternative facts, right? Alternative facts and also the phenomenon of fake news, fake news. Think about that. Is that not an oxymoron? I mean, if something is news and then fake, like fake news, again, we, we, we scratch our heads, is this reliable or is this just someone's take on what the news really is? And let me say uh, this morning, I'll just be blunt with you, I don't think that we can escape the truth question, okay? Hang in here with me for a second, okay? But I don't think we can just escape the truth question, is there truth and how do we ascertain the truth? Although many of us in this room, you know, wrestle with it. how do I determine, uh, how do I decide what's true and what's opinion? I don't think we can escape the question. Some of the popular things that we hear today is in our culture, and you may be thinking this uh, sitting here even this morning. Here's a couple, three slogans, I would say, three uh, pithy proverbs, if you will, that we hear common today. Number one, no one really knows the truth. 
No one really knows the truth. Number two, everyone has only a perspective and their opinions. And thirdly, truth is relative. You heard these before? Thought these, perhaps? Well, let's just take more than a a couple of seconds to think about these claims. No one really knows the truth. Well, that's sad. But let me just ask the person that would make that claim, do you know that to be true? I mean, you just said everyone or no one really knows the truth. Is that true? You can't escape it. Is this true or false? The second one, everyone has, has, everyone has only a perspective and their opinions. This is really popular to say today, not just in you know, universities, but I think this, this is kind of the attitude, the prevailing attitude uh, often in our culture. Hey, everybody just kind of has their perspective and their own opinions. And the follow-up to that one is, well, that's just your opinion. That's just your perspective. How can I take you seriously? Finally, the, the third one there, truth is relative. I mean, it's just you determine what's true. Truth is, is relative. And again, to that one, well, then why should I listen to you? Because that truth is relative. You see what I'm saying? You cannot escape the truth question. And boy, if there is uh, any place uh, in topics, if there's any place in thought or conversation that the truth question gets fuzzy and gets convoluted and uh, is difficult to ascertain, it's in the area of faith and religion, right? So let's talk about that for a little while. <laughs> How do you know this religious truth or this, uh, this claim is just someone's perspective or their opinion or their personal value versus, how, versus it being true? Well, guess what? The good news is that the, the folks that wrote the Bible, the humans that God used to write this, the Bible are honest about these questions. They actually think that it matters whether or not it's true, whether it's factual, whether it really happened. In fact, the apostle Paul who wasn't always an apostle, at one point did not believe in Jesus and was radically converted. The, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, jot that down, look at it later, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, if the resurrection isn't true, then you're of all people to be pitied. What is he saying? He's saying if it's not true, if it's not factual, if it didn't really happen, then forget about it. It doesn't matter. And here we see uh, where we're going to go this morning in the first chapter of Romans. Paul also wrote the book of Romans. We've been looking at that uh, in 2017 here at Centennial Church. We're going to go to Romans chapter 1, and we see clearly that for Paul, truth and history and reality matter. So turn with me to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first seven verses of Romans chapter 1, okay? This, uh, I believe, will be on the screen as well, but just uh, follow along with me as we, uh, we look at Romans 1 here. Paul begins, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So what I want, to look, want us to look at briefly here as Paul uh, begins this wonderful letter uh, to an actual church in, in history in the first century, this church in Rome, and he wants them to know, hey, this is the goods. This is the story about Jesus. I want you to have the account. I want you to know the implications of it. And so he gives this 16 chapters uh, of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And the first thing that we see here is obviously Paul is writing. He calls himself a servant of Christ Jesus, uh, and he calls himself an apostle. But the first thing, first major point here we see is that Christianity is news. 
Christianity is news. And we see that right there in verse 1. It says, uh, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, you may not know, you may, I'm sure everyone in this room has heard the word gospel before, but the word gospel, this church word, uh, didn't originate in the New Testament, but it was used even in secular uses. The gospel, gospel means good news. News. Christianity is news. What do I mean by that? I mean it's not advice. It's not opinion. One of my favorite uh, authors and pastors, Tim Keller, says it like this. He says, every other religion, Christianity is news. Every other religion is advice. I flipped it around there, but every other religion is vice, advice. Christianity is news. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here and what Tim Keller is trying to say here is that Christianity is fundamentally different. Because it really happened. It, it's front page news, right? Now, some of you will remember, and I know there's a few people over here. Some of you will remember in the old days when uh, your parents would get the Sunday newspaper. Anybody remember that? Uh, it wasn't electronic. It actually was, it was thrown out the window, and then the dog went and got it if you had a good, well-trained dog. And you would get the newspaper, and it was thick, the Sunday paper Dallas morning, I mean, thick, right? And what did that newspaper contain? What was, the, what was the, the top of it? What was the first part called? The comics. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so we know what's important to Jody. Yeah, you'd have the comic section, not usually front page, but you, the first, the major part of it would be the front page, the headlines, right, the news section. But the Sunday paper didn't just come with the news. It also came with these other sections. Some of you are like, the sports page hello, you know, pull out the sports page. I got that first, you know. Or you'd have the, the cartoons or the, or the comics. What other parts of the newspaper were delivered to your door in addition to the news? The ads, okay, yeah. Well, just put that right in the trash. Coupons, cut out the coupons maybe. Does anybody remember the op-ed section? The opinion section of the newspaper. Is the opinion section of the newspaper the same thing as the front page? No, it's fundamentally different. And some of you will remember in that, in that opinion section, you would have what we call the advice columns. You remember this? And so there would be columns in there written by people like Ann Landers, Dear Abby, thank you, uh, God forbid Dr. Ruth, things like this. People that would give you what? Advice. Dear Abby, I have this problem with a neighbor. It's really driving me nuts, you know. His motorcycles loud, his cars loud, his lawns. What should I do? Dear Abby gives you advice. Here's what you should do. And what Christianity, what the Apostle Paul and what others have said is that Christianity is news, is meaning it's front page. It's not the advice column. It's not someone's opinion. It's the good news. It is different. It is fundamentally different than every other religion because every other religion says, do this. Follow these four noble truths. Follow this eightfold path. Recite this creed. Do this. Attain nirvana. Whatever it is, it's advice. It's something to do. And fundamentally, the gospel of Jesus Christ is different because it's news and it's good news. We'll see why as we go on here. Secondly, second point, Christianity is news. Secondly, its origin is God. Look again with me. Its origin is God. Uh, set apart for the gospel of God, the good news of God, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. I want you to notice here that it's the good news, it's the gospel of God. That preposition there is important, of God. And that means that it originates from God. It comes from God. God possesses it. Its origin, its authority comes from God, not, therefore, from man. It's not man's spin. It's not Paul's perspective or Paul's opinion or the preacher's opinion and perspective, but it's the good news from God, of God. So we have uh, one network that tells us it's the most trusted name in news. Regularly, they tell us the most trusted name in news. Thanks for letting us know you're trusted. But we have another network that says it's fair and balanced, right? Every five minutes, fair and balanced, fair and balanced. And neither of them will admit their intrinsic bias. 
that often either one is giving us a slant or a spin on what has happened and not just reporting, reporting the facts. And if you think I get fired up about this, it's because I was actually a journalism major, um, not at the University of Arkansas, thankfully, but at a, another fine institution that will be unnamed. Fair and balanced, trust in name and news. Can I really count on it? Can I really bank on it? Are you telling me the true truth? And the Apostle Paul is saying, this is the gospel of God. It's true. It's true truth. Bank on it. Because God doesn't lie. God doesn't tell fibs. God doesn't exaggerate. It comes from God himself, and therefore you can rely on it. And not only does it come from God, and not only is it news, but he also lets us know in in verse 2 there that it's not new news. You follow me there? It's not new news. Look at verse 2. It says that, it, that it's promised, this gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And what Paul is saying is there is, hey, I've got good news for you, but it's not brand new news. It's a continuation of what God has been doing from the beginning of time, Genesis. That he promised this Messiah, he, he promised this Savior, this rescuer from sin. Our world is spinning out of control and we feel the effects of our human rebellion and, and, and economically things gone wrong and politically things have gone wrong and absolutely uh, environmentally, psychologically, bodily, everything is broken. But this good news is not something new news, though it's news, but it's a continuation of what God was doing with the Jewish people that he had promised through prophets that I'm sending a rescuer. I'm going to bring my kingdom. I'm going to rescue you from your stupidity and your dumb choices and all the rebellion that you've had against others and against God that it's news, but it's not new news. And if you want to write this down, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, as Jesus appears after his resurrection to some of his disciples, Luke 24, it says that, that the risen Jesus begins talking to these guys as they're walking along, along the road. And I think it's somewhere in verse 27, 28, somewhere it says that Jesus began to explain to them from Moses and the prophets onward how everything that they wrote pointed to him. How arrogant of Jesus to say, hey, this whole Old Testament deal, this whole Bible it's about me. Parenthetically here, anyone that would say that is either crazy or God. But not something in the middle. So it's news and it's good news, but it's not new news. And thirdly, we see in verses 3 and 4, and this really becomes the, the crux, if you will, the center of the paragraph and even the center of Christianity. Thirdly, we see that the center or the focus, you might say, of the gospel is God's son, Jesus. The center of the good news, its focus is upon God's son, Jesus. And very clearly it says that here in verses three and four. Look, the first words of verse three, concerning his son. What is this gospel about? It's about a son. It's about Jesus. It's about this one who came in human form, but was also God. And the good news centers on his person, his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now his rule at the right hand of the Father, and soon his return. So hear me clearly, the gospel, the good news of God is not about you, it's not about me, it's not about politics, it's not about morality, it's about Jesus. Hear me clearly, the good news of Jesus is not advice, it's not turn your life around, it's not start going to church, it's not give a lot of money to Haiti. The good news, the message of Christianity is not advice, but it's this good news about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, God's son, and what he has done. And in verse 3 and 4, we, we see here a couple things about Jesus. Actually, we see a lot right here in these two verses. But look at verse 3 with me again. Concerning his son, and then he gives us two uh, major descriptions of Jesus. Concerning his son. Well, what about his son? 
who was descended from David according to the flesh. Why does Paul include that there? Descended from David according to the flesh. Well, the Roman church that Paul's writing to, real church, real time, real place, they had Jewish Christians as well as Roman Christians. And this word here, this description of Jesus, descended from David to a Jewish mind would be like, oh, he's descended from David. We've been looking for a king like David. We've been looking for a rescuer, a ruler, a king, a king in the line of David. And so for a Jewish mindset, Jesus fits the bill. He fits the prophecies. So in verse 3, we see his humanity. We see that he's descended from David according to the flesh. That speaks to his humanity. But, but uh, verse 3 and 4 also speak to his, to his divinity. Because we have another D word there, right? Not only was he descended, but verse 4, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right here at the beginning of his letter, verse 4, Paul is saying the centerpiece of this deal is the resurrection. He's the right guy for the job, descended through David, and he resurrected from the dead. In other words, he's not just a descendant of David. He's not just a good guy, a good Jewish leader. But he's something more than that. He's divine. He, he resurrected from the dead. And this is the linchpin. This, if, you can, if you can prove the resurrection wrong, you can dispel and, and put away Christianity. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15. But if he's risen, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. And it's one of the reasons a very strong reason, but just one of the reasons why Christianity is different than any other religion in the world. I mean, again, popular parlance, popular language and talk today, Christianity is one valid way among many religions. But folks, the resurrection does not allow that to be true. The resurrection does not allow that to be to be true. Not all religions can be equally valid because only one religion... Only one religious leader died and rose from the dead. And it was that religious leader, it was Jesus himself in John eleven twenty five, 25, said this. said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's the claim of a crazy man or God from heaven who has come to the earth to rescue sinners like you and me. And if it's really true, if he really rose from the dead, it changes everything and it puts him categorically in an altogether different playing field than anyone else. Every other religious faith, every other philosophy says something like this. Follow this way and you will have peace. And Jesus says, I am the way. Every other religious claim says something like, this is the truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. Every other religion says, this, this is the path to life. And Jesus says, I am the life. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the resurrection proves that. It shows that. It demonstrates that. That he is unlike no other. That he is greater than any other. Because he came in human form. He lived a perfect life. He never should have died. He was God eternal. But he died on a cross to take our punishment, to bear the sins that we should rightly pay for, Jesus, when he went to the cross, was saying, I will foot the bill. I will pay for their sins. Though I have never sinned, though I am perfect, God, man, Jesus, I will be placed voluntarily. I will be placed as a criminal on a cross to pay 
for their sins. That's an awesome love. But as it doesn't stop there, because that was Friday, and Sunday's coming, right? And he is risen. And that resurrection says that what he says is true. It declares him to be the Savior, to be the Son of God, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit who gave his life as a sacrifice for people that should pay for their own sins. Jesus said, I'll pay for it so that they could come in to the Father's kingdom. That is the essence. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the essence, is the center point of the good news of Jesus. And in verses three and four, this centerpiece of this wonderful paragraph, we see a whole lot about who Jesus is. There are four names or four descriptors in one case of who Jesus is, and you see they all show up right here in verse 4. He was declared to be the Son. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from, from the dead, and get the next three, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see how power-packed that verse is? Don't miss that. He's the son of God. He's deity. One with the father. Became human in human form. Born of a virgin. He's the son of God. He's Jesus, which comes from the Old Testament word Joshua or Savior. He's Jesus, Yeshua. Christ, I'll come back to that one in a second. Christ means Messiah or anointed one. And then fourthly, Lord which basically means master. And Paul is telling us tightly here in these seven verses, Jesus is the good news, and it's all about him. The Son of God has come for you. The Lord of the universe, the Savior, has come to rescue and fix this broken, painful, hurtful, deteriorating, divisive world. He's come, and that is good news. That is the hope of the world. So final point, point four, the application, the application of the good news is both global and personal. Both global and personal. Look with me again, uh, verses five through seven. Uh, He was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, verse five, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Jesus' name among whom? All the nations. You might want to circle that in your Bible. Among whom? All the nations. Jesus wasn't just a Jewish Messiah. Jesus wasn't just a Jewish rabbi, but he came so that his name would be proclaimed and he would be believed upon among all the nations. The application of the gospel is global. We have a call to take it to our neighbors and the nations, to Haiti, as well as to Houston, God forbid. Oh, it's hot there. The gospel is for our neighbors and the nations. It's not just for Jews. It's not just for Romans, but it's for City dwellers, suburbanites, men, women, black and white, rich and poor, every ethne, every nation, Jesus came. That's huge. Huge headline, front page news. And guess what else? Not only is it front page global headline news, but it's headline news for you and me. Because look at the next phrase. Among the nations, including you. And what do you think welled up in the heart of a Roman as he read those words? Wait. This son of God, this Lord, this king came from me? 
That's what I want you to hear this morning. Jesus came for the nations. And Jesus came for me. And Jesus came for you. And you. And you. And you. And you may have thought that you came to Easter service this morning to appease someone or to enjoy a nice lunch afterwards. And let me tell you the good news. Jesus came on Easter. Jesus came 2,000 years ago for you to bleed out and to be crushed for you. That's good news. It's either ridiculous and crazy and unbelievable or great, life-changing, transforming, hope-giving, soul-satisfying news. And we believe it's news. There are four gifts. I'm wrapping up here, okay? There are four gifts that verses five through seven lay out for us if, if you receive Jesus. Notice what they are there, including you who are called to belong to Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, guess what? You belong to him. He brings you into the brotherhood he opens the door to the family. And if you receive Jesus, you, you, you belong to Jesus. Look on in verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. If you believe in Jesus, guess what? You have the suffering hope that no matter what you're going through this morning, it's not because God doesn't love you. He absolutely loves you. You're loved by God. And if you believe in Jesus, you can, have, without a doubt in the world, have the assurance that you, you are loved by God. And not only that you're loved by God, but that you're called. You're set apart to be saints. The word saints trips people up. It means set apart. You're special. Now, you may be thinking about Mother Teresa or Saint Francis or some other saint. But you know what Paul says here? If you belong to Jesus, you're a saint. Not because you deserve it. Not because I deserve it. But because of grace. Look what he says in the next sentence. Grace, that means unmerited favor. You have God's love. You are set apart by grace not because of anything you've done, not because of any amount of time you've spent in church or any amount of religious reading you've done or how many nice ladies you've walked across the street or fed the neighbor's dogs or whatever. You belong to him by grace, unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You can't do anything to lose it. It's grace. It's news. It's a gift, not a result of works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Loved, called to be saints, grace, and peace. Peace. Paul will go on. We'll get here in a few weeks. Go on in chapter 5 of Romans. Romans 5, 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Some of us this morning do not have peace in our hearts. That may be because of circumstances. We all have junk. But this passage says if you have Jesus, you can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. You can have the peace of God. Some of us in this room don't have peace because you don't have Jesus. And you need to come this morning and say, Jesus, I believe in you. Save me from my sins. Make me a son or daughter of God. And that's it. 
He brings you into the family by grace through faith. Several, quite a few years ago, um, about March, April, I was going through a really tough time. Some darkness, some hurt, some anxiety, some struggle, some disappointment, some relational brokenness. Right about Easter time. And I showed up to Easter service and I heard the message and I sang the songs again that I already knew. And what I realized that Easter morning as I brought junk and baggage and pain and hurt, what I realized that Easter morning is simply this, that if there's hope in death, then there's hope in life. If there's hope in death, then there's hope in life. And the resurrection of Jesus says, it can look like the game is over. It can look like death has won, but Sunday is coming. And the worst thing that can happen to you today is that you can die. But that ain't so bad because Jesus resurrects his brothers and sisters from the dead. And if there's hope in death, there's hope in life. What are you going through this morning? What are you bringing in here this morning? I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't know who drug you here. I don't know what kind of guilt brought you here this morning, but here's what I know. God has called each person in this room to hear the gospel of Jesus and let it penetrate their hearts so that you can walk out of here today knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're called, and knowing God's grace and peace. The resurrection is either a big old fake news story or the greatest, truest, most life-changing news that you could ever hear. Will you bow your heads with me? In a moment, we're going to, uh, in an act of the Lord's Supper and communion, we're going to remember that uh, our King, the Lord, the Christ, came and showed his costly love for us. We're going to celebrate communion. And we'll go ahead and call our servers to come forward as we prepare to partake communion. So in a moment, we're going to celebrate that act. We're going to remember that our king's humble sacrifice cost him his blood. That he didn't just love us in words, but he spilled his blood for us. We're going to remember that in just a moment. But right now, I want to call many of you here this morning to, as your heads are bowed, maybe the same spirit of holiness that raised Jesus from the dead is calling you from death to life this morning. Maybe you came in here this morning and you, you just thought Christianity was advice or some kind of moral code for self-righteous people, but I'm here to tell you folks, it's news and it's good news for you and me and you need to believe it. You need to receive it. And Jesus himself, Jesus' own words, John 5, 24, he makes this promise. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And in just a moment, as we come forward, many of us, and take communion, if you have never before placed your, your trust, put your faith in Jesus, instead of coming forward this morning, I wanna invite you to go backward. I want you to meet me in the back, right in front of the uh, sound booth. My wife and I will be back there to pray with you. We have some little booklets and material we want to give to you. But if, if today you want to say, Jesus, thank you, I encourage you, instead of coming forward, to walk backward 
and to pray with us and to believe in Jesus this morning, okay? Father God, we thank you this morning for this wonderful, life-changing, soul-satisfying good news. Father, may it change our hearts. May it make us different people. May it continue to change us. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts. If there are those here this morning that need to take a step of faith, perhaps from the first time, give them boldness and courage in these next few moments to do that, to step out in faith and receive the grace of God in Jesus. We ask it, Father, in the name of the beautiful one, your son, who came to rescue us all. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. As we prepare to take communion, and those of you that would like to pray to come in the back, let me just say this about communion, okay? Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writing here again. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This Easter morning, we remember what Jesus has done for us. But look at the way Paul finishes the instruction. He goes on in verse 26. Paul adds this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So get this, what we're doing this morning, what we're celebrating this morning is remembrance. It's looking back, but it's also looking forward because Paul says here, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Guess what? There's more good news. He came, he died, he is risen. And guess what? He is coming again. So I encourage you to come celebrate that good news this morning. Come to the table.